0: Good morning, Grace. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hosanna. Good morning. Uh, you all should have these branches or phones. Uh, I asked Courtney whether she can get some for us so we can understand what we are doing with regard to that. Because sometimes until we get the demonstration, we don't understand sometimes what we need to do. Let's pray so we can move on here. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for giving us another day. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for good health. Thank you for a miraculous day that we can enjoy and fellowship with you. Father, right now we commit the families in Nashville to you. We ask that you move in a special way and touch the pastor and those who are involved. And Father, we ask for the comfort and peace which surpasses human understanding upon their lives. And Father, we ask you that you be with us today. As we minister to you and to your people, we ask that you move through your Holy Spirit that whatever I say may be guided by you and your word. And Father, I pray that you open the hearts and minds of people, uh, your children, they may listen, and even those who don't know you in this congregation, that they may come to know you during this time. Father, we commit this hour to your hands. We ask that you rule and govern. As you have said in your word, that whatever three or two are gathered together, they are with them. And we ask you that you come to be with us right now. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the men at the booth to help me with the, with the scripture first. And I will take it from there after the scripture. Because it's a little extensive here. Uh, today our message comes from the book of Matthew chapter 21 verse 1 through 11. And also the book of Zechariah 9 verse 9 through 12. And as I was going through this, uh, what came to mind is hope is on the way. The king is coming. And I pray and hope that you have your king in your heart. Uh, because that's what count. Because there's a kingdom. We now live in the United States. But the United States is going to cease to exist. Uh, if you're a foreigner, I come from country of Kenya originally. I just found out that I need to renew my citizenship there. Uh, so I'm looking for my old passport so I can send it to Kenya Embassy here in the United States. But uh, I have a permanent citizenship in heaven. I don't know about you, but I allow king in my heart when I was 12 years of age. And I thank God for that. Let's get to a scripture today. Um, can you turn the scripture for me up there? Uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 21, Jesus had just spent a night at the house of a friend in, a, in a Bethany, the other side. But now he's going to go to uh, the next town in order for him to be sacrificed or sin. And it's that now when they had drew near Jerusalem and it came to Bethphage at the Mount Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a court with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone say anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he, sent, he will send them. All this was done that it may be fulfilled, which was spoken by prophet saying, tell Tell the daughters of Zion, behold, which was spoken by prophets, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a court on a fall of a donkey. So the disciples went, out, went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the court and laid the crows on them and sat him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is in the highest. And when they had, he had come to Jerusalem, all city was moving, moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. In the book of Zechariah 9, 9 through 12, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion! Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Glory and riding on a donkey, a court and a foe of a donkey, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horses from Jerusalem. The barrow bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea. And from the rivers to the ends of the earth, God who save his people. As for, as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoner free from the waterless pit. I will return the stronghold, your prisoners, of hope. Even today, I declare that I will be restored double to you. The question I have for you today is, um, do you have hope? From Hebrew, uh, starting from the Greek, is uh, elepsi is the word we get for hope. What does that mean to you? Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on expectation of a positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. That is a dictionary definition, but it's more than that. Uh, from Hebrew, we get the word kavah, very important word, very versatile. Uh, fluid can be translated different ways. Kava means to wait, to bind together, to twist. And then you join another word, uh, tikwa, or takwa, however you pronounce it. Which means hope. When you put those together, you get what we mean to wait actively with great expectation and anticipation hopefully watching for God to act. The most familiar passage in the Scripture where we see this is Isaiah 40, verse 31. All of you should know that if you're a believer. And if you don't know, I'm going to quote a little bit for you. Those who cover upon the Lord will renew, renew their strength. They shall mount us on wings as eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They walk and faint. not faint and not faint. The word, the word hope in Hebrew, which is takoa, or uh, the root word kavah, which means waiting. So hope is intimately tied to the concept of waiting for something to happen. In this case, something promised with a definite outcome as a result. In this case, God's veracity is online. In essence, God's truthfulness, of what he said, this is an expectation based on something already said, something promised. And as we learned a few minutes ago, it's promised five years, 500 years before in the book of Zechariah. And it's so accurate that Daniel prophesied about it in time and space and even minuteness of detail. So the Jews understood this. That's going to happen. Now you understand why they are so joyous and jubilant. Because it's, it's, it's realized and it materialized what has been promised. Many have died and gone waiting in expectation. But this dark gener- generation is understanding exactly what it is they have been told by their forefathers and what have you. So, another example is Lahab with the spies. You understand Jericho when they were told that you need can use any weapon. You just had to circle around one time seven days. Seven circles, and then seven, you had to circle seven times, and then you had to shout. You have never seen a battle like that. If you say, we're going to go to Russia, and we're going to circle the Kremlin building, and we're going to shout, you're going to say, um, I think we need to think about that. How about the nuclear weapon? But Jesus is saying, this is not your battle. I just want you to show up and do what I'm telling you. So, and in the process, the children of Israel had spied that land, and 40 days, and Rahab, the prostitute, hid them and then told the spies, they went the other way. She was lying, but that's what she did. I think you get to do what you got to do when you got to do it. So, and they promised her, gather everyone in your household and bring them to your house because when we come back, we are going to save you because of what you've done. She wasn't a believer, but she trusted God because remember what she told them? That we have heard the stories. How the river dried. And how you destroy the armies. And everybody's heart is melting here. That's why they're hiding. But the work was being done by God. So to speak. And you can see the point there. They told her to put a scarlet lobe. Showing that there's hope for what they had told her. The scarlet is a promise of rescue and deliverance. Her whole household came in that house, probably. They don't tell us all the detail, but I assume they came or they just told her, we don't understand what you're talking about, nevertheless. But one thing is, probably they all came to the nation of Israel after they have been saved, and, but Rahab's story is different. If you read her story, she became the great-great-mother of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why you should not skip those genealogies that are in the book of Matthew because they tell you the family tree, spiritual tree of the Messiah that we are talking about right now. So Rahab was saved and she got married to one of the Israelites and became the great-grandmother of the nation of Israel because she trusted God when she knew what to do. Are you trusting God today or are you trusting on yourself and your bank account and everything else? I know we Americans like our bank account because we count on it all the time. Uh, The question is, uh, here it says that to those who trust in the Lord, there will be no therefore no condemnation. That's chapter 8 of the book of Romans. And that's the promise that God has given to believers. Now therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus today? If you don't know why we are fellowshipping and waving these leaves here. It's because we have Jesus in our life, and you know he is a Messiah in our lives, and we know we're going to see him again. Uh, so if you are not a believer today, uh, we can talk to you about it, we elders, and we can lead you to Jesus Christ so you can understand uh, the symbolic meaning of those leaves today. Now, uh, Jesus Christ here would signify with this uh, call that was given to Rahab, was signifying that Jesus Christ is the call that saves those who believe in what he says. We must be in Christ to be saved from the judgment day. Now, I'm not, I don't like water. But I, li- I see the boat tied there. And when you tie the boat, you're believing that when you tie it there, you're going to come back and you're going to find it there. So it's waiting for you because you're tied there. Uh, when we're talking about the cord that ties the boat, I have some things here because I like to demonstrate things here. Now, talking about something like this, uh, this is unlovelling, there's a point to that. Now, uh, if you're not in Christ and tied to Christ, your life is going to be look like this. Uh, you're going to be enlarging and wondering what, what's happening in your life because you're trusting on things which cannot give you the safety and comfort and anchor because they are fleeting. And you try to chase them. You're going to chase them for the rest of your life until Jesus comes and you're not going to be in heaven. Uh, Therefore, if you're not in Christ, you're like this. Now, this one is not that tough by itself. But when you weave it with other things, it becomes stronger. What is the point I'm trying to make? I'm going to demonstrate here within a minute. Now, the word hope itself appears in the Bible several times. Uh, It's very important to understand here that the word hope, in a proper sense, appears 130 times. In other forms of synonyms and on a different wording, it appears 186 times. Therefore, altogether, 316 times. What is God trying to say? When God repeats something, He says it's very important. And if you don't believe me, a lot of people are committing suicide today because they have come to an end of themselves. So they believe. But if they turn to Jesus, they will find out Life is more than what you see with your naked eyes. See, hope is not necessarily what people realize that they, they think hope is just wishy-washy. Uh, it has expectation. The Bible talks about this, That definition for it is hope is confidence, expectation of what God is going to do. For you as a believer, what is your hope? But before I go, they are going to say this. In a Hebrew word, hope means this. It means a rope or a cord that comes from the root word meaning to bide, to wait upon, while weaving yourself with Christ, the cord and a waving hope. And he produces patience and steadfastness in your life as a believer while you walk with him until he returns with that blessed hope. In essence, what he's saying is, it's an intimate relationship experience that requires closure to the world, shutting down everything so that you can wait patiently on him for that great expectation and hope, and also twisting of strands together to produce strength and tensions to give you that fortitude and spiritual endurance as you wait for him. Now, why did I say that? Because I went to the uh, Ace the other day. I got this. And I joined them together. So, majority of you, if you go to, um, to Mohabba, you're going to see a lot of these. They're going to be very big ones. And they are tied to the anchor of the ship. And they are put, that anchor is put all the way down. And this produces tension. And when it's the wind comes or the wave, the boat doesn't go anywhere. Now, the book of Hebrews says Jesus Christ is our anchor. And you need these for the rescue, that you stay steady. Now, notice how it is weaved. That's a concept come from the word kavah and That you're weaved as you walk in Christ, you're weaved in him and he in you, and you'll be steady and knowing where to go and how to do things because you're intimate with him and you know his mind and he knows your mind. That's the whole point of that. So, are you weaved in Christ or you're weaved in other things? Because the other things, are gonna, they're going to free it from you. So, hope is the one thing that can help us to get through darkest of times. But hope in what? In Christ, not on things. See, in our American mindset, we think what we can see is the most important thing. In the Bible, it says this, Hope is confident, confidently waiting on something that will happen, waiting patiently for it with joy and pleasure. If you're waiting and you're grooming and tweeting your thumb and all that, it won't help much because Christ doesn't come on your schedule. Christ has a schedule. When he walked in Jerusalem, it was the time, and he was on a schedule. God is a clock watcher. And it is very accurate. Better listen. I'm going to repeat that in case you missed it. God is on time. Not your time. But he's a crocker watcher. When he says something, he's going to fulfill it when he said it. Five, 500 years before. This time, Jesus is walking Jerusalem. At a point in time. Sometimes we expect, we, we, we try to tell God what, what he ought to do. And we give him these ideas and everything. Like we have to make him intelligent than we are. Or something like we are, but it's the other way around, Ladies and gentlemen, most people understand hope as wishful thinking. Something that will happen. But Bible is not saying that. It's a Hope is assurance regarding things that are unclear and unknown according to Romans 8. Hope is a fundamental component of life of righteousness. Without hope, life loses its meaning. Righteousness... The righteous who trust and put their hope in God will be helped and they will not be confounded or put to shame or disappointed. The righteous who have trustful hope in God have general confidence in God in protection and help and free of fear and anxiety. Are you afraid and anxious and anxiety? I suggest you read Philippians chapter 6. Whatever things of good report, whatever things are desirable, all those things. So, so, for Christians, hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. I'm going to repeat that in case you missed it. Hope is confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. Now, that comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 it says, Hope is substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. So if you believe hope is just how you see things, then you don't need hope anyway. Because your naked eye can't produce that. Faith and hope are complementary. They are like bread and butter and peanut butter. Uh, Butter and bread go together. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past. Hope is looking to the reality of the future. Because of the past action that somebody who promised something they did, and therefore you trust them for tomorrow. You hear what I just said? God did things there, and because of what he did there, now you can trust him for what he's gonna do in the future. So there is no hope without there is no hope. There is no hope without hope, and there is no hope without faith. So you need to understand that part of it. Now, putting it together here. What I've already said, I need to put it together so you can understand if this thing is working or not. Huh? I think it died? See? Yeah, there you go. Now, if you live in South Africa, you, want, you need to have a lot of hope. You know, I say, if you lived, the past tense. Uh, Desmond Tutu was an Anglican preacher who lived in a time of apartheid in South Africa. And this is what he said. So I'm giving you the context where that phrase comes from. Uh, the reason he said that is because they were, not, were supposed to be seen and not heard. You're supposed to walk certain streets and shop in certain places, and you cannot walk in certain places, otherwise you're be just, they just shoot you like a dog and that's it. No question asked. just take a pistol and shoot you. So when he said this, he understood what he was talking about. Hope is being able to see that there is light d- despite the darkness. And that comment is important to understand where it comes from. Uh, triumphal entry of Jesus to Jerusalem. One week before resurrection, Jesus entered the holy city. Near the culmination of his journey to Grokotha, where he's going to be crucified. He came to, be, to save the lost. And now was the time, this was the place to secure their salvation. Palm Sunday marked the start of what is called Passion Week. For those who don't know what Palm Sunday is all about. The final seven days of Jesus earthly the ministry, physically being here. He is here in the spirit. We're talking about the physical sense here. Palm Sunday was the beginning of the end of Jesus' work on earth as Personal as himself walking on the face of the earth because the disciples are going to continue later on. So, what is the significance of this? and what's the meaning of it? I was on the table the other day eating dinner with my wife and my daughter there, and I said, You know, palm, palm, some palm trees, they are self cleaning. She said, What? I just said, I, I, just quiet, I just kept quiet. I did some research the other day and I found out that have you seen those palms which look neat, nicely, and trim? Nobody's streaming them. They're self-cleaning. Sounds fascinating. They clean themselves. God's creativity. So why do you think they cut the palms? There were many other trees. There was significance to it. Sometimes we read things in the Bible and we pass through them without even guiding the concept. They are signifying what Jesus is going to do. They are saying, as these branches self-cleaning... You're going to be the king who is going to be sanctifying our soul. That's what they're talking about. There's significant to it. So, palm trees, some of them are self-cleaning, meaning that they shed their fronds, while others need to be cut, cleaned occasionally and to get rid of the brown fronds and fall, falling fruits and whatever you. They are self-purifying and self-santifying. So these people are acknowledging that the only way they can be sanctified is because of the Messiah. They are presenting the leaves to demonstrate what he's going to do in their lives. You got that? So if you are sitting there and you're not waving these, probably you're not self-cleaning. So I didn't ask Courtney for these just to show. There was significant to it. So I said you take it and hang it on your, on your door so you can remember every day. Ask yourself, did I leave the Word so I can be sanctified today? Because the Word is Jesus Christ. Yeah. It should be a symbol for you to remember as a believer because that's what they were doing. They didn't do just things just to do it because there were so many other trees they could have cut branches on. It's easy to do that. It was intentional. Sanctification is a part of the process that you and I have to do guided by the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Got it? It's a process, continual process. So Palm Sunday, Jesus entered the Jerusalem, greeted by the people, waving palm branches. For Christian, it's a reminder of welcoming Jesus into our hearts by purifying us with his blood, the Holy Spirit, and the washing of the word, and our willingness to follow him by sacrificing everything on his behalf. Ephesians 5, 26 through 27 27 says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or linkle or anything such that she should be holy without blemish. So when Jesus comes into your life, he cleanses you. And this is talking about positional sanctification. I'm not talking about continuous one here. You get purified instantaneously when Jesus comes into your life. You're not you may look the same. You may look like the same Courtney, same Dennis, same James, uh, same uh, Cara, same Jonathan, same uh, Mark Ariat. But you're not the same. Because something has changed in here. And that thing a change in here, it's going to manifest itself and it's going to demonstrate its fruits. Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is going to be self-evidence because the fruit giver is in your life, the Holy Spirit. You may look the same outside, but the attitude is going to be different. The mentality is going to be different because Jesus Christ has come to give you victory. Victory represented by the palm branches. Hence, the people, in the account of Jesus' arrival, they used palm branches to celebrate his arrival. This is a certain act of rich culture and historical background of the Jewish people. Their ancestors also used these leaves for celebration. So palm branches marked the triumph triumph for the people of Israel, though the Jews expected a triumph act of occurrence, To occur, their expectation for differed from jubilation salvation because they expected Jesus to come with a horse. See, we have this mentality here. It had to be done this way. (laughs) No, you don't tell the Messiah what he's going to do. You follow the Messiah what he's doing. Otherwise, you're going to be left eating dust. I'm just telling you. I have been in this country for thirty some years. I've seen some things that I never expected in my life. As a foreigner, you, you have to trust God a lot. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, I want you to go to another country. And understand what I'm talking about. Stay there for a few weeks. No money, no nothing. See how it works. Yeah. You're going to have to trust a lot, Jesus. So, So, what happened here? This was prophesied 500 years before, therefore they understood what you and I don't understand. Hope is looking expectantly toward a future based on on our faith in God in the present and his faithfulness in the past. That is why it is imperative to study the Old Testament and see how God dealt with those saints who believed in him and how he provided for them and how they lost if they didn't believe. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you can't please God, it says definitely you're not getting a single thing. It's right there. So you wonder why you're not getting some things? Because you're trusting your bank account and your buddies instead of trusting the Messiah. Too bad. It's what it is. I'm just letting you know. I call it as it is. You know, you had to hear it because you need to get it. Now, Christians need hope. It motivates us to move forward because life is a never-ending flow of hardship and trials. When we hope, we can navigate these turbulent waters without despair. We can enjoy joy and peace despite our circumstances because we know we have God at work in all things according to Romans 8.28. He is intentional. All things work for good. How does this, me breaking my foot work for good? Probably God is preventing you from sinning, walking with your feet. I don't know so he break you to sit down there so he can impede you don't sin. I don't know. I'm just saying. Come to think about it. Remember, remember Saul in the road to Damascus? He believed Judaism is the only way. But when Jesus spanked him down and made him blind for three days so he didn't see where he was going. You get the point? Yeah, it's in your Bible. So God do some things to you sometimes to impede your progress. Because he knows you're going to fall off somewhere. So he says, oh, no, you're going to fall off. I'm going to just do something. And you can start, there, start sit there grumbling and wondering, oh, oh, I, oh, what kind of God are you? Well, the God that loves you, and he can see what you're going to do. So he just brings some things in your life that He's going to make you not do what you wanted to do. That's how it works. Crucifixion. Victorious crucifixion here. Jesus is going to die for you and I. And in order for him to be victor- for you and I to be victorious, he had to be crucified. It is interesting how we can give honor to Jesus. It's called paradox. One time they are worshiping Jesus and laying leaves. The next time you say crucify him! Does that sound familiar to you? Somebody's laughing with you within one minute, the next minute he's casting out you. Yeah, that's how it works. I've seen that happen. That's how dichotomy we are, human beings. We have short-spine time, short memory, called in the memory of the fish. Now, one moment they are praising him, the next moment they are mocking him. These simply represent how we humans fail all the time. We can be so resolute to follow his word at certain times with our lives. Then when things don't go in the way they were planned, we start questioning him, questioning him, and doubting him, and accusing him. I'm sure you have done that. So don't look so pious. You have done it, so I've done it, so we know we do it all the time. Everybody is desperate for salvation. Since we are hopeless, all hopeless, in our own nature and actions, Each one of us needs victory that is found in Jesus Christ. This victory is freely ours if we live by faith. Nothing else, by faith. Claiming this victory gives us freedom from sin, from guilt, from shame, from death. We can overcome enemy schemes, his power, and his traps against us through the blood of Christ. Death lost a sting, Paul said in the book of Corinthians, when Jesus rose again with a victor's crown on his head. We celebrate success every Palm Sunday with the branches reminding us of the victory as a token of triumph of Jesus Christ. That's why you wave the branches this morning because you're saying Jesus have died and I'm free indeed and whoever he set me free indeed, he shall be free indeed. So if you don't get a branches there, I question about that question. If there are still branches sitting there, ah, uh, something is iffy, somehow, I'm just saying. Now, let's go before I get in trouble. Now this is the most important part. How many of you like to walk naked in public? Not in your house, in public. Now okay. I'm going to give you a story here so you can understand the concept of this nakedness. These people surrendered what was most important thing, garment, in the Middle Eastern culture. If you are never lived in the Middle East, I suggest you ask them about the cloak they wear you know, on, on outside themselves. It's have significance. Number one, it signified, put it here, several points here. Number one, Humanity has always used clothing to represent their identity. Literally. Have you noticed people judge you by how you wear your clothes and shoes and everything? A lot of peer pressure for teenagers and other people. Whether you realize it or not, we tend to judge people somewhat by the clothes they wear. The meaning of clothing today is nothing compared to what was in biblical times. In those days, Great care was taken for clothing to match their identity because people of that day, your clothing or their clothing was represented who you are. One could easily identify a shepherd by their dress. If you are blind, you can tell the shepherd by the way They smell. Because they, are sheep. they smell like sheep. So you can't miss that one. You can't say, I'm blind. Certain of your occupation... Require certain articles of clothing that they wore. When they wore that, everybody can tell. Oh, that's a so and so, without asking a question, because they identify you by what you're wearing. So, to speak, did you know God says more about this in the Bible than anything else? In Matthew five, uh, in Matthew, Jesus five forty, he talk about if somebody take your tonic or your croak, let them have it. Let them defraud you. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he said. If people take your clothes, let them take it, instead of you taking them to court. Let them cheat you on you. That's what he said. But sometimes we read that, we do not get the societal concept of what Jesus was saying. He was talking about the attitude, saying this here. That in 1 Corinthians 6, Apostle 4 faces a situation with certain members of the church in college who have been taken to court by members. He wrote in verse uh, verse 7 that, Why do you not rather accept the wrong? Why don't you let yourself be cheated? Neither Jesus nor Paul meant that Christians should not use the law properly. But they were more interested in a right attitude in those matters. Many people take advantage of the legal system in a greed, injurious manner. Some Christians should not respond in kind. If confronted by such a person, it is usually better to suffer the loss of a shirt or a tonic or a cloak than fight back. In Christ's example, he spoke of a tonic on a clothing or a cloak. The Jews of the day had two principal garments, the interior coat or the tonic and other garments. That's what we call underwears and whatever. And most expensive exterior cloak, the outer garment. This was covering to sleep under at night. It was like a jacket and all that. But also, it is used in Mosaic law as the croak was very inalienable to possession that it could not be withheld by a debtor overnight. Let's say you went to them and said, I don't have money, here's my croak, and I decided to bring one here, so I don't have a croak like a Jew, so I decided to bring my um, thing here, you know. Don't you do this comfy? You can sleep with it, you know. Big room cries, you know. I don't know whether it's gonna be covered, some of the other stuff, but they didn't have blanket like you do, so you can cover this yourself and stretch nicely and you're So they say this, you can't take this some, If somebody brought this to you as a shopkeeper and they tell you, I'm giving you this to you, and I want you to have that sugar so I can, but before the sundown, I'm gonna bring it. Now, if they fail to bring it, It is on you to take the crook back home and give it to the person. You are not supposed to keep it. Are you understanding this? Now, if you don't believe it, I'm going to read it from your Bible here. So, it says here, this Mosaic law. The Mosaic law said this. That is why in Mosaic law, if someone own money, you money... You are, you are forbidden to take their outer garment for, for payment. No matter how much debt or enslaved a person was, they were allowed to keep their dignity and their outer coat. Often a person taking an outer loan would give the lender his coat as a sign that he would repay really the loan later that day. The Jewish people, they realized the importance of outer cloak, so the person giving the cloak was in assurance that the person will indeed repay the loan. If for some reason the person who had given the cloak to the lender could not come up with the money by the end of the day, the lender was to return the cloak to the person by sundown so that he would be able to sleep securely. The cloak was very important. According to Exodus 22, 21 through 30, says this, You shall neither mistreat a stranger or oppress him, for... You were a stranger in the land of Egypt. God gave them the premises. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you afraid them in any way, they will cry, cry at me. And I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will be hot, become hot. And I will kill you with a sword. Your wife shall be widows and your children will be fatherless. God is saying this to the nation of Israel. Now, I'm giving you that premise What is how serious these people were putting their crook on the ground for Jesus. I want you to get this. So, and he continued to say this. If you lend money to one of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a moneylender to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun go down. For this is his only covering, it is his garment for his skin that will help that what will help excuse me, what will he sleep in? And it shall be that when he cries to me, I will hear and I will be gracious. And the first verse, I might have to come kill your husband, and you'll be widow and you'll be fatherless. That God was serious. Deuteronomy is repeated. So they can get it. Deuteronomy 24, 12, 13. If a man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall, in any case, return the pledge to him when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you, and it shall be righteous to you before the Lord your God. Matthew five, forty: Jesus speaking. If anyone sue you and take away your tonic, let them have your croak too. So it's important to understand why this was important. Now let me explain some also. It says the croak was also signify identity, personality. Now it helped them when they didn't have anything to carry their goods from the shop or from the harvest field, it represents their ability to harvest. It represents the person's ability to survive and exist. It represents their complete being. It represents their moral character. It is a Jewish equivalent of giving up their word. Today, it will be signing on the dotted line. When you get a car loan or a child's loan or whatever you. So, let's go to the application. Remember Adam and Eve? They didn't know how to cross themselves. Adam and Eve immediately realized that they were naked and tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Now, how many fig leaves are you going to cover your big self? Or small self? Or in between? I'm just saying. So, see how dumb this was? But God came and killed an innocent lamb and used it to properly clothe them. Sin leave, naked and, leave us naked and vulnerable. That's what it's talking about here. And the world tried to tell you that you can make it on your own. You can make your own croak in the world and go at home. It doesn't work that way. You can be on your own, man, and trust yourself to get by in the world. You can clothe yourself, spiritual nakedness, with your own means. This is a lie from the world that you do not need anything from anyone but you can form your own identity, form your own cloak for yourself. But I'm here to tell you that sowing fig leaves together by your own power cannot properly equip you to make it in this world. This will be properly done by the Holy Spirit. You cannot make it to heaven with your own devices. You cannot even make, it, make it every single day. Can you sometimes I have to pray to Jesus? Jesus, help me. Every minute. But the bottom line is this. You need the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb that walked through those gates of Jerusalem and went to the cross, so that you can make it to heaven. Jesus said, by uh, John 15, that I have come to them and I've spoken to them, so they, not, they now they have no croak or excuse. That's what he's saying. Are you struggling with anything today? Are you? Do you need the blood of Jesus to help you? Do you need Jesus' clothing righteousness? Yep, come to Jesus. Uh, These Galileans, those 500 years ago, understood that the righteousness they needed is the authentic righteousness from God to clothe them. That's why they took their clothes and put it on the ground. This is what they were saying. Jesus, Messiah, we are giving you our nakedness so that you can give us your righteousness. Clothe us with our righteousness. That's what they were saying. They were becoming vulnerable so Jesus can come and help them. You feel macho or humanly or whatever uh, by yourself, then good luck with that. But let me tell you this. Jesus is the only way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, Palm Sunday is very important so you can understand what Jesus is trying to say. Also, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it was not just that. The cloak also was a special calling. Whenever a prophet was called, they had a special garment that God designed for them. Yep. Remember the high priest? The ephod, and in the chest you have Urim and Thummim, where God has to speak through them. They had to wear this in order to, to talk to God. Now, also, when Elijah was going to heaven, he selected his protégé. He went to Elisha and put his cloak on him. Elisha understood And he left his prowl and followed Elijah. And he told me, what do you want from me before I go to heaven? He said, I want the double portion of your power. That's a lot of asking. Elijah said, okay, sonny. If you keep your eyes open and you see me taken to heaven, you can have the croak. If you don't see me and you're asleep, you ain't getting it. What does that mean to you? If Jesus is walking in the parade and you're sleeping in the parade, you miss the mo- you miss Jesus. You not you better be like Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, short guy like me. Uh, he had to cry on that tree because he couldn't see because the t- other people are tall. So he, he wanted to see Jesus. Better be lady.